You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. Here's RG3. He's going to run for the first down and still on his feet. RG3 is going to outrace everybody. 3 2. Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. Most valuable player of Super Bowl 22 is quarterback Doug Williams. First black quarterback to start a Super Bowl, the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Tell you what, I hope Doug Williams does. I hope he puts to bed once and for all about the black athlete in professional football. Game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it. This is called Pirate Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of GGR Post Game. No, it's been a while since the last episode, but I've got something really cool lined up that I want to talk about today. I guess it's not really that cool, but it's something that I do want to talk about. On today's episode. Before I get into that, I want to make sure you all go to greatgeekrefuge.com where you can find earlier episodes of this podcast as well as episodes of some of our other podcasts like my other po- my other podcast, The Overflow with MC Brooks and stuff like At the Diner and FedCon. Also, make sure you're following Great Geek Refuge on all of our social media. We are Great Geek Refuge on Twitter and Instagram as well as Facebook where we have a pretty active Facebook community. And if you'd like to support us every month, uh, we also have a Patreon where we just re- redid the tiers a few uh, few weeks ago. And there's some really cool perks on there. So uh, if you'd like to support us, uh, definitely go check us out on there. So uh, if you are looking at the title of this podcast, you can probably guess what I'm going to talk about. But in case you are unfamiliar, you know I am a native Washingtonian. I've lived in D.C. my entire life. And for the most part... I never thought that I would get the opportunity to see a championship won by a local team in my in my city, right? The you know Washington D.C. is notoriously a football city. No matter how good the other teams are doing, the pulse of the city is largely dictated by how the football team is doing. Because when they're winning, oh, the city is buzzing, right? You you won't be able to go anywhere without hearing people talk about how they're doing. But even when they're losing, that's still the bigger story than any of the other teams making a playoff push or anything like that. Now, we got really lucky. I don't want to say we got lucky. We got spoiled, I would say, in the 2018, in 2018 and 2019, where three of our local teams all won championships. 
We had the Capitals win in 2018, and then we had the Mystics and Nationals win in 2019. And the Nationals are going to be the focus of this podcast tonight because, you know, in uh, it is August, so in about two months, it will be it will mark the three year anniversary since the Nationals brought home their improbable World Series title, first in the franchise history, and. You know, I don't think anyone really predicted that they would go on to win that year, but it's what made that season ever so special. And yet, when you look at where the team is now, three years after the fact, they are, to to say they are a shell of themselves would be a compliment. (laughs) It would be an absolute compliment because they have fallen off in, in all the worst ways in which a team can fall off. In the in the aftermath of uh, winning a championship, because ideally, it's not that you it's not just that you want your team to win a title. You also want them to be positioned so that even if they don't win multiple titles, that they are contenders every year, right? And in the Nationals' case, that's something you can kind of like that that that's something that you can kind of reflect back on when you kind of look at how the last decade went. Right, uh, from 2010 through 2019, they were one of the most winningest teams in baseball, which is kind of crazy to think about considering how bad they are now. But the one thing that you could say about them back then is, if nothing else, they were consistent. I mean, it's not that they won all the time or won every year, but you always felt like they had a chance that they were going to be in the conversation as far as whether they were going to make a whether they were going to make a, a playoff run. And you know, each Nats teams had their own like unique set of issues. Like sometimes it would be team management um, uh, from the manager, sometimes it would be roster construction, sometimes it would be pitching is great but the hitting is not or hitting is great but the pitching is not. Sometimes it would be a combination of two. And the reality is in baseball you really do need things to work out more times than not if you're really going to try to not only win a championship but be a model of consistency, right? The thing with sports just in general is that they're very volatile, right? Things can go from bad to good or good to bad in seconds, right? There are so many different factors that that contribute into whether or not a team is successful or a failure. It can be some of the things that I mentioned. It could be other things like injuries, Um it could be things like the pandemic or free agency or or just in-house drama, uh, players not getting along. It could be uh, players not gelling with their coaches, with their with their managers, with the with the people who run the organization. There are so many different things that can kind of factor into into why a team, you know, is or isn't successful. So in the Nats case, I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of how we got like one that 2019 season, but then also what has happened in the aftermath of it and what I hope to see happen going forward. Um, the thing the thing with baseball, because baseball is not my favorite sport. It's a sport that I follow. I generally keep track of, uh, you know, the Nats, obviously. But I generally just kind of keep a, a, a track of like, okay, who are the good teams? Who's winning? Who's not doing great? Who's on the hot seat? Um, are there any major uh, sports stories or anything that I 
uh, need to be paying attention to, you know, things like that. Because, you know, I, like I said, I may not follow it and I may not have the the knowledge of it that I do with other sports like uh, the NBA, the WNBA, or the NFL. But it is a sport that I do care about. And it's one that, you know, I, I, I genuinely enjoy. Uh, last year, I mean, the last couple years, this year hasn't happened, but last couple years, I, you know, like I go to Nats games and, and I make a thing to, to watch them when they're on TV. Um, I was a really, really big fan. And this fall off has really affected me because it's made me not want to watch the team, not want to root for the team anymore. It, it has really turned my focus. Like right now, I've been treating the this part of the sports calendar as if there are no sports being played, aside from the WNBA, because I do I do follow that. But aside from the WNBA, simply because I don't have like outside of my the Mystics, I don't have a local team to be excited about. And the Nats have been so terrible in the last couple of years that is like when I when I read some of the stats that I have as far as what is what has happened with them, it's going to be really alarming to kind of talk about. <laughs> so let's look back at the 2019 season, which is kind of where all this began, right? Improbable World Series championship had the oldest roster in baseball that year, if I remember if I remember correctly. And then obviously, you know, 19 and 31 on May 23rd, right? Which, you know, all of us, like there was so much speculation about what was going to go on at that point, right? Uh, you know, whether they were going to fire the manager, whether we were going to uh, trade people away, try to get some, some prospects and kind of rebuild on the fly. There were a lot of things that kind of went into what happened, but there were also injuries, right? Um, if I remember, a, a few, quite a few players like had missed games up to like up to that point. Not to mention, this was the team. This was the the team that they put together in the aftermath of not re-signing Bryce Harper, which turned out to be the right decision. But it also set a precedent that I have an issue with. I'm going to talk about when I get to this current season. If you are up to date with baseball news, then you probably know where I'm going to go with it. But uh, yeah, that twenty that 2019 season was was absolutely special. Uh, it it, <laughs> it we were going to rely on the bats of Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto and, and a bunch of vets to to really help you know carry this team. We were going to rely on the the pitching of Strasburg and Corbin. And Scherzer to you know help keep things keep you know the run differential low, and run differential is probably not the right word, but to keep the keep the runs low so that we had a chance to win games. And you know, we they they slowly but surely climbed back. They climbed back. Then you had to think about the fact that even once they got into the playoffs, like they were playing with house money. They were down two runs in the eighth inning of the NLDS game five, and then down three to two in in the World Series, and yet every time you wanted to count them down, they they stormed back, they came back, and it was wonderful. Just like I think about that one game that year versus the Marlins, uh, where I want to say it was like they were tied at four, and then the Marlins scored like six runs. At the beginning of the, at the top of the ninth inning, right? 
something crazy, something crazy like that. And, you know, I remember podcasting. I was, I was actually live podcasting with Mike at the time and being frustrated. So just kind of turned the TV off. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't even want to, I don't even want to deal with them. Right. And so go about the, the rest of the podcast. And then like, by the time we finish, Mike says to me, Oh no, they won. They came back. They scored seven at the bottom of the ninth to come back and win that game. And that was the moment that was like, Whoa, what? And then I was like, all right, this team is special. They have, they have something here. Something is happening around this team. And that magic carried them all the way through to, you know, a world series with, you know, Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon, and a couple timely hits from Howie Kendrick and others. It just, it was just the stuff legends, legends are made of. And, you know, it, it just so happens that that happened at a time when, you know, the country was still kind of the way it was before we all got hit by COVID in 2020, which prevented us from being able to really celebrate that championship. I mean, we celebrated it because, you know, the parade happened and I was at the parade. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So when we get to the 2020 season, you know, unfortunately, that's when the pandemic hit. And it came, it happened, you know, at a time that kind of forced all major sports leagues to figure out how on earth they were going to have sports <laughs> uh, at a time when there was so much unknown about the virus and there was so much death happening uh, seemingly on the, on the, not seem well, not seemingly, but so much death happening on the, on a daily basis. So many of us needed the distraction of sports, but for the most part, we just weren't really sure how one could safely do it. <laughs> so what was interesting, or not what was interesting, but what ended up happening is, you know, baseball ended up having a COVID-shortened season. There were only 60 games. And the Nationals, uh, you know, were pretty much screwed by injuries and, and poor poor hitting that season. And... While the Marlins, I believe, have like the worst win percentage the the year after winning a, a World Series title, because I, I don't remember the year, but I want to say they lost like 108 games um, and they have the lowest. But the Nats, the Nats like point four three three is the second on that list. Now, obviously, you put a little bit of an asterisk next to that simply because, you know, only 60 games. And it's not to say that, you know, the odds are in their favor because of how that season was going. But I don't think anyone would have been surprised if that if they stayed the course or even ended up worse. You know, that it was not a good season for them by any stretch of the imagination. So you can kind of throw out the 2020 season simply because, you know, COVID happened and short season injuries, poor pitching. There were just a number, a number of things. However, I don't think anyone could have predicted what ended up happening in the 2021 season. Seemingly because like even though even with the team struggling and they made arguably their best free agent signing like since the World Series last year when they signed uh, Kyle Schwarber to a, a one-year $10 million deal and he ended up hitting 25 homers in, in 72 games uh, before uh, you know missing time with injury. But what ended up happening in 2021 ended up being the thing, like the the first sign of 
things not being great. There was a lot of speculation about what was going to happen with the with the team. Uh, and I don't think anyone any one of us could have predicted that they would end up having a fire sale at the deadline. When uh, Mike Rizzo, he ended up dealing a, a number of notable names if you are a fan of this organization. Max Scherzer dealt Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, Brad Hand, Jan Gomes, Daniel Hudson, Josh Harrison, and John Lester. Fire, complete fire sale. You had nothing for this team, for people to look forward to as far as this team, aside from Soto and uh, and uh, and Josh Bell, who I'm going to talk about them a little bit later on <laughs> in this pod. But they ended up finishing last year with 97 losses and a .401 winning percentage. That ranks fifth among teams in their second year after a World Series title. Which is crazy. But they've been doing a lot. Like, on, on some level, you kind of you expected the Nationals were going to lose games or, or that they wouldn't be immediately poised for immediate success in the aftermath. Simply, when you have the oldest roster in baseball, there's obviously going to be some level of regression going into the subsequent seasons as you as guys retire, as Howie Kendrick did, or you end up trading trading them away and in, in, in hopes to replace them with either younger players from your farm system, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, or younger or young free agents who can just give you youth at a position uh, that you need youth at. So there were a lot of things that ended up happening, but the fire sale ended up being the most shocking, shocking thing, I think. And if like for me, that was the first place that I really started to get turned off, turned off to this team, because uh, I had gone to several games last year with my parents, and every game that I went to, they had won. Now, granted, I didn't think that 2021 team was necessarily going to like do much of anything, but I think that. With the guys you had on the team that you felt comfortable about on on some level, you felt comfortable about the direction of the team in feeling like, you know, like you still have something to look forward to. You still have Juan Soto at that point, who was a young, considered one of the young superstars in baseball. Uh, another podcast entirely would be talking about how baseball in general does a major disservice to its young superstars in in terms of not doing more to prop them up. But Juan Soto, among baseball fans, is a well known name, and the fact that he had had he had had the career that he had had to that point, and he was still twenty two years old, twenty three years old, was was incredible. So like you still and like you still had others like Trey Turner who has been here who had been here for his entire career, you had other things you had players here, to that would that were going to get butts in seats right, you had things that, for fans to get excited about, but post fire sale, what did you really have to look forward to, like I mean really think about it, what was there to cheer for, and I, like I get, they had to make some hard decisions. And maybe it's because I'm not as well versed in baseball, but I really do hate the strategy of, oh well, if you just get rid of everyone who's good and then replace them, maybe eventually you'll get to be good again. 
And maybe that strategy has worked in other places, but that shit has not worked here. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is not that 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 strategy of just get rid of everyone good and get a bunch of young people. That has not that has not worked here. And there's so much uncertainty kind of surrounding the organization that it really do, it, it really feels bleak with the team on the verge of being sold. And I think that's part of the reason that uh, Soto was less likely to commit here, especially with what was being offered, simply because there was so much uncertainty about the future of this this team. I mean, if you think about it, if you were a young 23-year-old and you were excellent in your field of choice, would you sign to stay on at your job for 15 years when your your job is on the verge of being sold and there's so much uncertainty about the quality of your of your job. There's so much uncertainty about uh, around whether you'll even be able to do your job effectively, whether you can trust the people who will be leading you over that time period. No. I mean, we would all have reservations about that. So I don't I don't feel bad. I don't I don't feel any animosity towards Soto towards turning down the offers that were presented, although I do believe that there are offers that could have been offered that would have kept him here and and perhaps uh the team might have had some flexibility down the, down the down the line but i mean since since winning that world series if we if we take it to this year you know they 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 have a 0.388 winning percentage which is a 99 loss pace in a in a 162 game schedule and only the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates and Arizona Diamondbacks have worse winning percentages since the start of the 2020 season. And right now, the Nats are posed to own, to, to become only the fourth champion to finish below 500 in each of his next three seasons. That group also including the 1918 Boston Red Sox, the 1993 Toronto Blue Jays, whose subsequent seasons were shortened because of World War I and the players' strike, respectively, and the 1997 Marlins. The 2013 uh, Red Sox are the only other team to finish below 500 in their first two two years after winning a, winning a title. So it's it's hard, you know what I'm saying? Like the Nats are they're they are they are 37 and 76 at the time of this recording, and I mean they are their defense and their starting pitching has been completely awful. If you think about it, you know. Uh, the Nats won their title in year one of that Patrick Corbin contract. But since then, he's been the worst starting pitcher in baseball. And if not for several key moments during that World Series run, I think that contract would be looked at as one of the worst in baseball if it's not currently being looked at like that. And then you look at Strasburg, who just, you know, between injuries and other things, just hasn't been the same guy since that run. He he got the contract and he he earned the contract. Trust me, I was in the camp of give give him the money because when you have a, a good quality pitcher, you really can't afford to just let them walk for nothing. I mean, I felt that way about all players. When you have good quality players, if you have the chance to keep both, you keep both and just kind of deal with the deal with your cap and all the other stuff down the road, right? But. Between the two of them, they just they just have not had the best opportunities. Um, they just haven't been the same guys, and because of that, it's made it really really difficult 
um, for this for this team to kind of have much of anything to to hang its hat on since then, right? Um, it's it just this team just hasn't just hasn't been great, and there just isn't a ton to uh, excuse me to to really look forward to look forward to um, this year. You know, both Corbin and Strasburg combined to post uh, 10.6 wins above replacement in 2019, and that's only in the regular season. And they've been worth minus two in the three years since. <laughs> it, like I said, these contracts just haven't been bad. But but that's not the that's not the only thing. I mean, the Nats have the Nats have had tons of bad contracts that just or just tons of free agent contracts that just haven't worked out, right? Like, uh, they, I mean, they gave Daniel Hudson the two-year $11 million deal, and they only got 54 and a third quality innings before they traded him. Gave Will Harris three years and $24 million. He's, third, he's thrown 23 and two-thirds of an inning in those three years. And none this year. John Lester, Starlin Castro, Eric Thames, Brad Hand, and even Nelson Cruz, free agent signings that have hurt the team. Like I said earlier, their best free agent signing has been Kyle Schwarber, and their second one was Josh Harrison. But he's also, you know... <laughs> so, you know, uh, there were a number, a number of years ago, uh, Ben Lindbergh, uh, did some research and found that World Series winners that, you know, they, they tend to re-sign their own teams at a higher rate, which makes sense. You know, there is a component to those signings. You know, you were there and you helped us win. Therefore, we should, you know, we should do what we need to do to keep you. However, I think that that can be a faulty strategy. And the reason behind it is when you are signing, when, when you're giving guys contracts, and this applies to all sports in general, when you're giving guys contracts, you can't just look at what they did and give them that. You also have to do a little bit of projection because you want to make sure that you're going to get the value of that contract and what they contribute going forward, right? If you sign a receiver who had 12 touchdowns one year, but they have all these nagging injuries and you give them big money, you know, you're projecting that they're going to give you somewhere around that for the duration of the contract that you give them. Not that they'll give you five here, five one year, three the next year, maybe go up to, no, like you're expecting to get a consistency there, right? You, you, you want to reward people for what they've done, but you also want to reward them for what they, they're going to do so that inevitably... If, it, if, ever, if all things work out, the contract looks like a bargain for the team and for the player, they can be posed to get themselves an extension that is equal to or greater than the one that they currently have. And when they re-signed Strasburg and Kendrick Hudson and uh, Annabelle San San Sanchez and, and others, most of those didn't work and they backfired. And, you know, I mean, sometimes that happens. You can't really predict it, but I think you know, when you're signing aging players, when you already have the oldest oldest roster and you try to re-sign guys hoping that they do that, you, you may be setting yourself up for failure. And then in that case, that's exactly what, what, ended up, uh, what ended up happening. Again, you want to project forward. You also have to remember that as guys get older, like they don't always, 
you know, they tend to eventually at some point plateau, you know, or, or, you know, injuries. They're like, there are a number of things that tend to happen with, with older players that makes it hard to really rely on them for longer than a season or two or of good production that you can get out of them. If you can get, if you can, if you can get it out of them, excuse me. So, uh, yeah. And then like the other thing that's really doomed this team is just really bad player development, right? Really, really poor player development. And it really speaks to why they had to make the move they had to make with Juan Soto and Josh Bell. I should say specifically with Juan Soto, but Josh Bell's a good player also, so with both of them. But it was part of the reason that they, they absolutely needed to do it. See, uh, uh, Baseball America ranked Washington's farm system 26th in baseball this this spring. They were 30th last year, 28th in 2020, and 24th in 2019. You can get away with you know having a not great farm system for a year, but truth is... As those years stack up, like eventually it's going to come back to bite you and it's going to backfire you. And when your team is already not in a good position because of poor free agent signings and guys leaving and, and guys not being as great as they previously were, then, yeah, you are you're not going to do great. So, like, if you look if you look at where their farm system was back in 2018, the year before they won the World Series, they were 12th which is, you know, in the upper ranks of the league, not top 10, but in the upper ranks of the league. And then you look at what, what they got from their top five prospects that year. We had Victor Robles, who was their, their number one prospect. Starting, starting center fielder on our World Series team, had some really clutch plays, some clutch catches, so on and so forth. But he's only been hitting 217 since. And it seems like he's fallen out of favor with the organization so because he just never was able to really get his bat together consistently. He's had flashes, and defensively he's great, but the, the hitting is just it's not, it's not there. And then next we have Juan Soto, generational, one of a you know, one once in a lifetime kind of player. We'll talk more about Juan in just a second. You have Eric Fetty, who's a first round pick, did not pitch in the 2019 postseason. And has a career 5.19 ERA, including a 5.8 ERA in 276 in the third inning since that World Series title. That's not good. You have Carter Keboom, who had another first-round pick. Uh, he's played very in various places throughout the the infield. Uh, you know he, you know he was he, like he was he was there for a bit. 2019 he. You know, he was. They tried to rely on him a little bit more in 2020 on, but he's a career 197 hitter, and yeah, yeah, not good. Then you have uh, left-handed pitcher Seth Romero, another first-round pick. He's thrown 85 and two-thirds of an inning in five seasons, but he hasn't pitched this year due to injury. But if you think about it, outside of Soto and Robles, like from that, you've gotten very little contributions from anyone else. Now you have other, like there are some other players that you can you can look at, like Tres Barrera, Luis Garcia, and Yadiel Hernandez. Uh, I mean Garcia was he was number six on that 2018 list, and 
he probably has the best chance of the people I mentioned to be part of whatever the next contending team. But that's still a problem. Your your farm system has been awful. And it's a big reason why they had to move Soto. And there's just so much uncertainty because we don't know who the next owner is going to be. We don't know if they're going to keep Mike Rizzo or if they will, you know, seek to, you know, fill out the organization under, in their viewership, under their leadership. And, you know, the, the like at best, you hope that in two to three years, they may be where they want to be. However, given their track record, it doesn't look all that promising. You do hope that this ends up being different going forward, right? I, the, the Soto news just hurts, though, and it, it, it really does make me sad. Turning down $444 million over 15 years with no deferments. Like, it sounds ridiculous, right? However, when you look at the fact that he has accomplished a lot and he's under 24 years old, that contract, he would have only, he would have been making less than $30 million per year. And it would only rank 10th among active hitters in baseball. Think about it. It'd be like having a young hotshot quarterback who has accomplished a lot. And when it's time to offer him a contract, you offer him a contract that only gets him to be the like sixth or seventh highest paid quarterback. Despite the fact that he's incredible. He's a once in a lifetime process. He's a once in a lifetime uh, player. Like if you like I got, I got this uh, from, uh, from uh, Elias sports. No player has ever made multiple all-star teams and changed teams all before uh, turning 24. No player 23 or younger has ever been traded mid-season the year he was an all-star. Both of these apply to Soto. And yet... So I'm, uh, <laughs> Soto's only one of 44 players in baseball to reach 2,400 at-bats before his 24th birthday. So right away, that puts him in an exclusive club. And among those 44 players, he ranks second in on-base percentage behind Ted Williams and fourth in OPS behind Williams, Ty Cobb, and Mike Trout. It's not not just a great young player. He's a generational talent that was doing things that have rarely, rarely been done. However, as I alluded to earlier, this follows a precedent that unfortunately had been set by the Nationals for players that had come before them. You know, while... You know, not giving Bryce that money was, you know, and that it turned out to be the right move considering they won the championship and that money was better suited going to players who ended up contributing, like Howie Kendrick. That being said, it it's not it's not great. It's not great, and they have a track record of it. You didn't give Bryce the money, and he ended up leaving. You had the choice between Anthony Rendon and and Strasburg. And perhaps I still believe there's a way you could have made both work. However, the way you go about negotiations, the, the way you handle talking to the player, like all of that stuff matters. And they ultimately chose Strasburg. And while Rendon has not been great since leaving the Nats, like who's to say it who's to say that he wouldn't have kept that who's to say that he would have had that decline here? 
We don't know. He might have. He might not have. There's honestly no way to tell because, you know, we, we don't live in an era where we can look through different timelines. However, when you look at that and you look at what was offered to Soto, especially that given that he's still, I want to say like two and a half years before free agency, they're like, yeah, it, it, it's, not, it's not a good look. But I'm, also, I'm ultimately not surprised at what they offered him because it does reek of mismanagement, in, in my opinion. You know, Mike Rizzo's been a great GM for the most part. However, you don't let a, a guy like Soto just leave. You need to do whatever you need to do to build around him. You need to you, you need to do whatever you need to do to keep him keep him happy and keep, make sure he knows that he's the centerpiece. But now that he's gone, that he's been traded, it does make you question, well, what do fans have to look forward to? What does his team have to look forward to? You know, at best, you're looking at, like, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, two to three years, two to three years until maybe those prospects start to work out. And maybe I'll feel different in two to three years. But in the in the present day, it doesn't feel great to feel this way. And unfortunately, until we get some questions answered as far as the, the, new, the next owner, the GM, uh, these prospects, uh, and just you know, the organization overall, we're, it's, it's hard to really gauge whether there's any reason to have hope or excitement going forward. I know I don't have any hope or excitement, but the Nats have been awful. They've been a really awful team since winning the World Series. And it makes me sad that that's the case, but that's the case. I've given you the numbers. They're terrible this year. So that's all I really got. I'm I'm hoping things will be different next year, two, three years. But with all the questions surrounding it, it's hard to say that there's reason to have hope. Most you can hope for is that they have some fun. Right? The Nats won ninety-three plus games five times. Between 2012 and 2019. But, you know, there's player development issues. Your star player is gone. Uh, there's just so many questions about this organization. And now they've got to figure out, you know, what to do. Do they want to make, do they want to extend for uh, one of the extended postseason spots next year? I don't know. It's all a mystery. We'll, we'll hopefully get some answers to these questions soon. But with all that being said, I want to thank you all for listening. I just wanted to talk a little bit about how we got here with the Nets. Um, hopefully things change. But thank you all for listening. Make sure you go to greatgeekrefuge.com where you can find earlier episodes of this podcast as well as episodes of our other podcasts, such as my podcast, The Overflow with MC Brooks, and At the Diner, and FedCon. Also, make sure you follow Great Geek Refuge on all of our social media accounts. Great Geek Refuge on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, where we have an active Facebook community. And if you'd like to support us, we're also on Patreon as well. You can search us up there. That being said, we'll catch you all soon. Peace out. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, boy!